All right, well, it looks like we've hit record again, have we? Yes, we have. Good day, everybody. Uh, my name is Drew. I'm a pastor at Praxis Church, and just so thrilled that you're listening to this, to the Praxis podcast in this feed on our website or one of your favorite podcast catchers. I think the cool kids that do podcasts say now these days, I don't know. Um, this is a bit of a new world, this midweek stuff, but it is Wednesday, and welcome. For some of you, Wednesday means one at day closer to the weekend, which is exciting for some. Uh, others, maybe it's not the greatest day as you're working away or doing whatever. Uh, for us, in our house, we love Wednesdays because uh, it's actually the e- Wednesday evening is the day of our community meal where a bunch of people from church and people in our lives just come over and we feast together and talk about the way of Jesus. So it's a great day for us. I don't know where you're at today, but I'm just so thrilled that you're listening to this and have taken a couple minutes to hit play on whatever you've hit play play on. Um, The reason why we're doing this is because we started a couple weeks ago a series called From Redemption to Recycling. Basically, that's just a catch-all for everything. We're taking a number of weeks as a community really just to wrestle through a ton of issues that are really important in our cultural moments. And there's things that we're all wrestling through. We all have questions. And so we're just trying to do this as a community. And it's been so so good. I was actually conversing with a friend uh, at Praxis in our community and just saying how thankful I am for how gracious our community is to take some time and slow down and take a few minutes and wrestle through things that can be controversial and sometimes things that are easy just to kind of put to the back burner and ignore and yet are so important. So I'm really thankful. And I also know that there's people that want to kind of dive in deeper. And we've just realized that a Sunday teaching won't suffice for some of what we're talking about. And so we're trying to use these uh, midweek kind of podcasts as an opportunity for us to develop the conversations further. So thanks. Thanks for listening. I have a coffee here. Maybe you have a coffee where you are. I may take a sip here and there if that is okay. I know it's kind of like gross to hear people chew and eat and sip, but I I won't eat anything. I promise. I may take a sip of coffee every once in a while. But on Sunday, we talked about hell and judgment, uh, an issue that a lot of people um, are just wrestling through. And uh, what does the scripture say? You know, it seems, and we're going to get into it in a couple minutes here, that there can be differing opinions on this, even in the Christian theological world. And so we open up the conversation on Sunday just about hell. And one of the things we tried to present, I'm not going to re-kind of talk through everything we talked about, but the main idea we got into on Sunday is a lot of people don't think of hell as exile. We think of more of the problematic story. So you live life and are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? And yet the Bible actually talks about that it's heaven and earth that are united together in the beginning and that God's ultimate goal in the end in bringing the new heavens and the new earth to earth earth in this renewal is that heaven and earth will be reunited, God's space and human space. And a lot of times we lean in kind of to a problematic story and yet one of the best ways to think about hell in all the different things that come to our minds when we bring this subject up, is that it's exile. A guy named Jonathan, uh, sorry, Jonathan, what's his name? Butler, Joshua Ryan Butler, sorry, brain toot there. Um, Joshua Ryan Butler wrote a great little book, and in it he says this, and it's so great because it's a great play on words. He says, God is on a mission to get the hell out of earth. 
If we could just all remember that as the big idea is that God is on a mission to get the hell out of earth. And obviously it's a plan words because for some of us, we maybe grew up in environments of um, uh, kind of painting a reality that God wants to get the heck out of this big bad earth and he wants to take his Christians away, his people away with him. Absolutely not. That's not what, when we say God is on a mission to get the hell out of earth, we're not talking about leaving, but that God is going to return through Jesus as king to drive out the evil forces of this world and to exile hell, the current reality that could that is hell, that we see hell as a current reality around us and is going to renew all things. That it's actually a big, beautiful story, a big, uh, grand story that we're caught up in. So we've just been saying things like, don't think of hell as underground. The better picture is that hell in the Bible is outside the city. We often think of hell as torture, right? Some of us, uh, this picture's kind of been painted for us that hell is just continuous torture. But it seems in the scriptures, the greater picture we get is that its purpose is actually protection. So God is going to exile hell in in the end um, in order to protect his good creation and the earth and to protect those that have given their allegiance to him. There will be a day when injustice is done with. There is no more. Uh, The Satan and his demons are ravishing this good world right now and there's evil all around us. There will be a day as God is the good gardener where he will come and he will exile hell. So hell is not necessarily underground. It's outside the city. It's not necessarily torture. What it is is its purpose is protection. And so one of the things we're trying to frame around is that hell is actually God's mercy. I know in the world we live, everybody wants to point, oh, is this God that Christians follow? Is he evil? Is he just like wanting with a pitchfork to poke, you know, push people in to eternity of torment? The reality is, is that hell is actually God's mercy. There is an expiry date on evil and injustice, right? And so judgment and Jesus returning to judge is actually our hope. These, if you're on God's side, if you've turned and you're on God's side, these are beautiful things that I think we don't need to shy away from. And so some of these concepts that we shared on Sunday, again, are by from a guy named Joshua Ryan Butler. He had a little book come out in, and it's really a popular book, like in the sense of it's pretty easy to read. He had uh, this book come out in, I think it was 2014, and it is really actually something I think anybody can read. He takes really academic things and I think distills them down to make them helpful. The book is called The Skeletons in God's Closet. The, The subtitle is The Mercy of Hell, The Surprise of Judgment, and The Hope of Holy War. And he walks through some of these things around hell and judgment and some of the violence we see. A great, great I think tool and resource, again, to give us the bigger concept than just an angry God who wants to, you know, send people away. That's actually not the story at all. Hell is protection. And again, when I think of the Psalms, I'm walking through the scriptures right now with my oldest child, my daughter, uh, she's 11, and you can feel it. It's palpable in in the Psalms that these Hebrew people writing these songs continue to talk about God being on their side and delivering them from their enemies. Well, there will be a day when Jesus ushers in the kingdom in its totality, and that is going to rid the world of injustice. As Isaiah talks about, there will be no more tears, 
Uh, Jesus is going to rid the world of this stuff. And um, so that's the why the call is to repent. And I'm, you know, sometimes you hear, you think of that word as like the preacher guy on the side of the street with the sandwich board. Repent just means to turn from yourself and give allegiance to Jesus as king. And so those are some of the broad strokes that we uh, touched on on Sunday. With that, I know and we know that there's a ton left unsaid. I mean, the reality is we could take hours with this. Uh, You know, it's interesting even tying into that. I was reading somebody tweeted this this morning on Twitter. I thought it was great. She said this, in the great divorce, C.S. Lewis has this idea that we are either making ourselves into citizens suited for the kingdom of God or we are making ourselves into people who find the kingdom insufferable and we build our own kingdom. And she says this, and this is our eternal trajectory. A beautiful picture, I think. And Lewis, we referenced him on Sunday and I will share a little bit more of Lewis's idea because he has been very, very helpful in the idea of hell, especially it being locked from the inside, not necessarily something that God just wants to send people to, but is locked from the inside. Um, We're either making ourselves into citizens that are suited for the kingdom of God or we're pushing against it. And there will be a day when God's kingdom comes in totality and that means that there may be, and there probably, you know, there will be people that will be unhappy because there will be people that want to trust in themselves and their, and evil and injustice. I mean, look at the world around us. And yet God's kingdom is coming and we cannot stop it. And I think this is a better tie into the idea of hell again than just some angry God wanting to send people somewhere because they didn't pray a prayer, you know, before they died. It's way bigger than that. Uh, so the word hanging in, let me take a sip of coffee before we move on. Hold on one second. Mm, did you hear that? Just the beautiful sip of, I don't even know what it is. It's, I'm in my home office, so it's home coffee, you know, it's good. Um, so the word, you know, hell in the scriptures, the word that Jesus used the most when he talked about hell is this word Gehenna. And we talked on Sunday, which what Gehenna was a literal place outside the city of Jerusalem, something known as the Valley of Hinnom. And there it was known for idolatry and child sacrifice. And ultimately this was lit by human hands that the rebellious kings of Israel would send their kids out there for child sacrifice, taking on Babylonian practices and different things. So Many people know that. That's not a new idea, this idea of Gehenna actually being something as real and tangible. I do think it says to us that hell is a current reality. The things that are not of God's will in our world are all around us, and hell is a present reality. Just as heaven or the kingdom has been inaugurated is a present reality, hell is as well. But the big question that we really didn't get into on Sunday and promised to do midweek was a lot of people ask about the future. Okay, I, you know, some of you are like, yeah, I get it. Hell is a present reality. I see all sorts of horrible stuff all around me. But what about the ultimate idea of people's destinies? That's a great question. And that's what we're going to look at here. We're going to look at um, some of the Christian positions on hell. I'll say this. There seems to be a general agreement, no matter where you land with these ideas, of a few things. One, Jesus is going to return as king. 
I mean, this is a Christian, this is a Christian thing that Christians believe no matter where they land when it comes to hell and heaven and the new earth. There is this general idea that Jesus, who has inaugurated his kingdom and has ascended to the right hand of the Father in authority, is going to return and he will be this good king again that will renew the world. So Jesus is returning to There's a general consensus, and I mean, you can't escape this from the scripture, that humanity will be resurrected. That humanity will be resurrected. Paul talks about this as something that is central and essential to the good news of Jesus, that there will be a resurrection. So one out of one of us, 10 out of of 10 of us die physically, but all of us will be raised. And then three, ultimately, humanity is going to be raised to be judged that the living and the dead will be judged, that Jesus, the great king, is also the great judge, and he will judge humanity. Now, if you're in Christ and your uh, allegiance is in the king, um, and you've lived for the king in this present age, there's, I mean, it's seen, and it's very clear that you're not going to be judged for your sin, but Jesus took that upon himself, and you'll, there, there is clear clarity that you will actually be judged for your works here, your, your good works um, on this earth that, um, you're not going to be judged for uh, sin and injustice, but you will be judged. You and I, if you're in Christ, will be judged again for the good works that we have done, the things that we've done in this present age. And then four, there's a common consensus that there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, that God's kingdom is coming here. We're not floating away to somewhere else, but the very real tangible embodied world that we live in will be renewed. Sin will be taken away. And like we said, this fits in with the hell idea that hell will be exiled. But the question a lot of people have, so I mean, that's pretty consensus. The question is, what happens? What, what, what are these, like you mentioned, some of you are thinking, you mentioned on Sunday, there's different positions around hell. What happens to people's eternal state? That's a great question. Very good question. This is what we're going to look at. I just want to say before we jump in to these different views that I am a pastor, all right, that doesn't have all the answers. I am learning like you, and you're going to hear over the next couple minutes that I have been on my own journey with this as well. What I'm trying to do as a pastor who does love theology and believes that it matters, that more than just saying to you every week, hey, God has a plan for you, which he does, by the way, and that he wants to use you, which he does, and bring your friend next Sunday, which, you know, bringing people to church is great. More than that, theology is important, and it's dear to me because we're caught up in a beautiful story. What I want to do is just help bridge the gap for you. I don't want any influence in the sense of like, this is what you need to believe because all three positions here on hell and final judgment acknowledge hell, acknowledge hell, but approach it differently. So there's an acknowledgement in the three different views that I'm going to, uh, I'm just going to kind of put before you. All of them acknowledge hell, but they approach it differently. And so... For some of you, maybe that grew up in more traditional, maybe even more reformed settings, typically the traditional idea of hell has been eternal conscious torment, and that's been it. There's been no room to kind of discuss through it, and here's what I don't want. I don't want it thrown around because we're exploring three different positions that we don't hold the authority of Scripture. 
Um, some people I know, even to open up the idea of different positions on this will flip out. And I just want to encourage you not to flip out because it's Christian people that have wrestled through these things. And we take the authority of scripture very, very seriously. We actually just really want to get to what the Bible actually says. And it's true that there could be traditional positions held that don't necessarily hold the biblical view. Sometimes over time, things just kind of begin to be assumed. And I just want you to know, we hold the scriptures dearly in our community and we hold to their authority so much so that there should be an openness, even if there's been traditional views held, to at least explore what the Bible says, get in and dig in. And that's my hope with this. So there are different Christian positions and I'm just trying to help build a bridge here. So there, I would say, there's probably a fourth as well. There's actually a great little book by Zondervan called The Four Views. And in it, there's four different people that uh, write from their position. It's edited by, edit, edited by a guy named Preston Sprinkle, who's a great theologian and I really appreciate. Um, I'm just going to talk, we're going to talk about three of them, leaving the idea of purgatory out. If you want more information and uh, more study on purgatory, which has been typically a Catholic position, but more and more evangelicals are actually pressing into it and considering it. Um, it is in that book, the Four Views book, and I encourage you to read it. I'm not going to talk about that as much. Um, I'm not as convinced, one, um, though I love my Catholic brothers and sisters, and two, we just only have a certain amount of time here. So I'm going to look at the th- what I believe are the three major Christian views of hell and final punishment. One being the traditional view, uh, conscious eternal torment, conscious eternal torment. Two, um, the view called terminal punishment, which is also called annihilationism, or conditional immortality. We're going to talk about this in a minute. And then the third view that would be more common would be Christian universalism. Christian universalism. So conscious eternal torment, two, terminal punishment, and three, Christian universalism. Now, I'll just say this. Here's the thing with the Bible. Ready? If you proof text and just take single verses somewhat out of context or just kind of give off single verses, which often we do as people, it's kind of, we can be drawn into that a little bit. You can make a case for each of these three positions. So I'm going to talk about each of these positions and I am going to give you scriptures for each position. And you're going to go, oh, that sounds like the Bible affirms that you could do it for all three, all three conscious, eternal torment. So something that's eternal, hell is eternal torment. Terminal punishment where uh, eventually uh, people who aren't in Christ cease to exist. And Christian universalism. I'm going to pull out scriptures here quickly. And you're going to go, oh my goodness. Like it feels like the Bible affirms all of these things. All sides can point to verses that seem to support their view. Um, And that's why I think we've got to be careful just to pick and like cherry pick verses here and there. Um, I think we need to look at the grand story and how it all works together. 
And so just don't don't be surprised in a minute when you hear all three views and that there's actual scriptural basis for all three. And that's why I think you get three or four positions on this because at one point it seems like, oh, maybe hell is eternal. And then you read another verse where it seems like death is death and that there will be a time and a moment where those who aren't in Christ cease to exist. It's because there's actual verses that seem like, not that they're conflicting with each other, but giving different points of view. So let's do this, my friends. Let's take a sip of coffee. Mm-mm, good. You know, when I... When I meet people, by the way, this is just totally free. When I meet people who don't drink coffee, I just, I mourn inside. Like there's another person I met just recently and they don't drink coffee and they're a parent and I'm just, not not a parent, but a parent, like a, a, a father and they don't drink coffee and I just think this, that's amazing. But then there's a, a side of me too where I just, I just weep inside. Anyways, let's break these three down, okay? Again, let me try and do my best Some of this, I'm sure, will be insufficient, um, as with something that's such a big scope as hell. But let me help in this. One, conscious eternal torment. Conscious eternal torment has been the traditional position held probably since Augustine, or you may call him Augustine, the great church father. Augustine, or Augustine, held the conscious torment conscious eternal torment view of hell. And I would say probably if you grew up in the church, if you're my age, so I'm edging towards 40, whoa, Um, it goes quick. But if you were in the church in the 20th century, especially the evangelical church, uh, this has primarily been the mainstay position. It believes that both the righteous, so those in Christ, and the wicked, those who aren't in Christ, who haven't given allegiance to Jesus, will be raised to judgment, will be raised to judgment, like raised on that day, and everyone lives forever. So both those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ, everybody lives for forever. For those who have given allegiance to Jesus, they will live in the new heavens and the new earth, right? They'll come to judgment. They'll, they're, uh, they will live in the new heavens and the new earth forever. But those who have not given allegiance to Jesus will be judged and hell will be just like the title of this position says. It'll be conscious. There'll be consciousness in hell for eternity, just as those in the new heavens and the new earth will live forever. Those in hell will live forever consciously. It'll be eternal, obviously forever. And the piece in this is it takes some of the imagery that we get around hell in the New Testament and it will be eternal torment, conscious eternal torment. Those who are not in Christ, uh, whether you die uh, in this present age and haven't committed a life to Christ, or if Jesus returns and brings judgment, if you're not in Christ, conscious eternal torment. Now, this is the view of hell that most, again, I've already said, most are exposed to. And like I said, there are scriptures where it feels like this may be the pulse of what life apart from God in hell is like. So Matthew 25 is a big one. Matthew 25, 45 through 46, Jesus says, he will reply to you, and this is about the sheep and the goats, if you remember. He, he will reply, this is Jesus at judgment. Truly I tell you, whatever you did, do do for one of the least of these Sorry, let me start that again. Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. 
Then the promise is they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So those who aren't in Christ, verse 46, they will go away to eternal punishment. So those who believe in conscious eternal torment go, see, look, a life apart from God in hell is eternal. They use Matthew 25. Now, I'm going to talk about Matthew 25 in a different light in a few minutes. Hang with me. But here's another verse that people who would press in and understand the idea of conscious eternal torment, they would go to another verse probably in 2 Thessalonians 6 through 9. This is Paul writing. He says this, God is just and he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. So he's talking to the oppressed Christians. And give relief to you when you are troubled and to us as well. And Paul says this, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. And then Paul goes on, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with, and listen to the language here, everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So Paul is saying here, and this is where a lot of eternal conscious torment interpreters would say, look, those who aren't in Christ are going to be punished with everlasting destruction, destruction that will not end. See, it's in the Bible here. It must be this position. One more for the eternal conscious torment people um, position. Uh, Revelation 14.11, and there's others. We don't have time, but Revelation 14.11 says this, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. So that's those who aren't in Christ. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. From And they... You know, people read this, and for most, that settles it. That the smoke of the torment will rise forever and ever. For just as people who are in Christ and living in the new earth and celebrating life with God in a renewed world forever, it's many in this position, obviously most everyone in this position believes that in hell it will be forever and ever. And so for most, that settles it. Hell is conscious, it's forever, and... The picture a lot of people press into, again, is that it's torment. Now, the thing with conscious eternal torment that I hear a lot from this camp, and you may not, you may believe this and not be in this camp, and that's amazing. And again, these are different Christian positions. But oftentimes what happens is people in this camp will say, see, this is just a plain reading of the scripture. And a plain reading of the scripture shows us that hell after judgment is conscious eternal torment. But as you know, and especially if you've been around our community a bit, when you really work hard to interpret what the scriptures are leading us to, the question becomes, is there such a thing as a plain reading of scripture? Right? Like, is there such a thing as a plain reading of scripture? The reality is, and we'll talk more about this with the Bible, we are all interpreting uh, we are all interpreting the scriptures, ancient documents. It was written, these scriptures, in a particular culture where people thought a certain way and is really out of our world a little bit when you talk about the ancient Mediterranean and the ancient Near East. Again, I keep uh, beckoning back to this, but it is what it is. I started a Bible reading plan with my daughter, and so we're just getting to the end of Genesis, and oh, am goodness, the stuff in there that's so far 
crazy. Like, I think the other night we read the story of Lot and like his kids, I think getting his daughters, getting him drunk. Right. And just, just the incest and all, all sorts of weird, crazy stuff. And I'm continually having to stop with her and say, Hey, by the way, just remember in the ancient near East, this was a certain practice. There were certain things going on. And so is there a plain reading of scripture? It's a, a good question, but I'm just, I'm not sure that there's necessarily a plain reading of scripture. There's always interpretation happening and there's always things influencing how we interpret, interpret things. So like for me, for example, I hold primarily a preterist view of the book of Revelation, which we don't have time to talk about, but which simply means I believe most of what's in Revelation was fulfilled at the destruction of uh, Jerusalem in, in 70 AD. I think it was pointing to that. We can talk about that later. I also hold a post-mill, a post-millennium eschatology, where I don't believe that that involves escaping. I'm not hugely convinced on a rapture. So, uh, you know, that's a position I hold. I have a strong affirmation in my theology of women leaders and teachers in the church. And I have a particular view, and I, with many, that holds the view of election, election or predestination as corporate and communal, not individual. So I don't believe that God before the foundations of the world, world picked you and you and you and not you. I don't think it was a salvation lottery. I think election in the scriptures was communal. I'll say, I say all that to say, I just gave you like four or five different positions of where I land with things in the scriptures. None of these things came with a plain reading of the Bible. I often wonder if there's such a thing. My point is it actually takes work to wrestle through these different positions. And I would just be very, very careful if you hold to eternal conscious torment when it comes to hell to simply say, well, that's the plain reading. I don't think it's that I don't think it's that simple, and I would just caution from that. I'm I, I'm not saying it's not a viable thing for people to hold to. Um, I just think just be careful of saying, well, this is the one because this is what the Bible says. Because the other two positions have different again scriptures that would make you think and ponder and wonder. Wait a second, what's going on here? But it is I'll I'll poke at it a bit. It is something that I hear, especially amongst Reformed Christians who typically hold to that view of eternal conscious torment. They would sometimes come across saying, well, this is what the Bible says. Of course, like this is this is just a plain reading. Be very careful of that. So that's the first position, eternal conscious torment. The second position is terminal punishment. Oh yeah, Term- terminal punishment. You may know this as annihilationism. Or another title for this could be conditional immortality. And this view is actually gaining, gaining some steam in theology. And it, it's, it, this is the view of terminal punishment. It's the view that immortality, so life forever, is a gift from God. And God will grant it only to those who meet his condition of being saved by faith in Jesus Christ. So immortality, life forever, is a gift, and you hear this in the scripture a bit, granted by God, and it's on the condition of being saved by grace through faith, like Paul would say in Ephesians and other places, that it's through faith or allegiance in Jesus. So though the picture with conditional immortality or terminal punishment is this, those who are not saved by faith, who say no and reject salvation, will be resurrected, just like everybody else, unto judgment, but then denied ongoing life 
or any sort of, basically they will cease to exist, being executed, destroyed, or otherwise deprived of life forever. So basically, this view says that everybody will be resurrected, but immortality is only for those in Christ. That Jesus' way is life and life forever, and the way of the world and the Satan and not leaning in to salvation through faith simply means that you will not exist. You'll be raised, you'll be judged, and then you'll be destroyed. This may, for some in this camp, they believe that this may include a temporary season of suffering, um, but ultimately it means death. It Death. So de- uh, the, the difference between this and conscious eternal torment is that it's a, seizing of, it's a seizing of existing or death, not eternal suffering and torment. So a lot of people that would hold the terminal punishment would say death means death. Destruction, you know, when you read it in the Bible, de- like it's not rocket science that death means death and destruction means destructions. destruction. Sorry. Some views of conditional immortality believe that the Satan and his minions and his demons and the evil powers will be tormented forever. But the ultimate goal and understanding of this idea is that there is a final death for those who aren't in Jesus and they will cease to exist. And brothers and sisters, it seems like there's some good evidence for this position, annihilationism, in the scripture. Scriptures like this. What about this? Matthew 7, 13. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, destruction, being destroyed, and many enter through it. So Jesus even here, it seems like says, yo, like there's a wide gate and you can choose to walk through that wide gate and go with the crowd and go anti the way of Jesus. And that road ultimately in the end leads to destruction. John 3.16 is a big one for those who lean into terminal punishment because think about it. For I mean, this is like the, the football, like John 3.16. This is at the football games. This is the most well-known scripture in all of the scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Listen, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Which would mean that there's a sense of perishing if you do not follow the way of Jesus. And perishing, a lot of people would say perishing means perishing. What about this? Romans 6. Super well-known verse, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, right? The wages of sin is death. Death being death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the gift for those, like even Jesus' atoning work, what he did brings life and it brings life forever. But the way of the world is is death. The wages of sin is death. Even Psalm 37, here's one more. Psalm 37, 38 says, all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. And so while eternal conscious torment has been the traditionally held view, this idea of conditional immortality or terminal punishment or annihilationism is gathering steam, I would say, in Christian theology right now. And I would just say it's a legitimate position. Again, some people are going to flip. They're going to say, no way, right? I've grown up in this. The Bible says that people will be tormented forever. But I'm telling you, man, there are legitimate people that have really pressed in. I think of a guy named John Stott, a great theologian, 
who was, I think, held to this idea of terminal punishment. Another named John Stackhouse, a great Canadian theologian who I really appreciate, who in the Four Views book gives the terminal punishment view of hell and punishment in in that book and did a great job, I think. And then there's another guy named Chris Date who basically has made it his life's mission to lobby for this position of conditional immortality or terminal punishment. Um, You may have heard of this site and this movement called Rethinking Hell. Chris Date has done, I think, an incredible job presenting this particular view of terminal punishment, that there will be a time when those who are not in Christ will cease to exist. God's not out to like beat them or destroy people forever, but actually death is what people want and death is what people will will ultimately get in the end if they don't want a life with God. And so Chris Date, I really encourage you to check out Rethinking Hell. I think it's beautifully put. Chris Date, by the way, is a reformed Christian. Like when it comes to things like the atonement, the cross, like very conservative, but has really come to the scriptures and even more so doing things we just don't have time. I mean, he has hundreds of hours of material online when it comes to this position of terminal punishment or again, what you know is conditional immortality, or a lot of people use the word annihilationism. Um, He's done a great job. The father probably of this in the 20th century was a guy named Edward Fudge. I haven't read much much of Edward Fudge. Mm, Fudge, what a great last name, eh? I just wish my last name was Fudge. But anyways, he wrote uh, a number of things in the, uh, the 20th century, his main book being The Fire That Consumes, that again would hold to this position of terminal punishment and was really the father of this. And I have not read in particular his books yet. I'm It's on the docket. There's so much to read out there. But Chris Date at Rethinking Hell and his team there that have done a number of articles and podcasts continually reference Edward Fudge and uh, legitimate, legitimate stuff. All right? So that's two positions. Eternal conscious torment, the idea that those who aren't in Christ will, hell will be eternal, it'll be conscious, and it will be never-ending torment. The second view of terminal punishment is that there will be a time after judgment where those who aren't in Christ will cease to exist, that there will be a final death. And then, um, depending on where you land, there's a third position that some Christians hold to called Christian universalism. Christian universalism. The idea with Christian universalism is this. Everyone is raised and lives forever. For those who do not give allegiance to Jesus in this present age, there will be a universal reconciliation. It believes this position, universalism, Christian universalism, believes that human beings will ultimately be saved and restored to relationship with God. And some believe that there could be through this a refining period. But the ultimate goal with this is, is at judgment, after resurrection, um, all will confess Jesus as Lord. They'll all be drawn by the love of God and all will be saved. Now again, with the Bible and especially the New Testament, there are verses where it sounds like all will be saved. Romans 5, well-known verse, Romans 5, 8. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in con- condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. 
So what this verse is saying, you know, in Adam, you know, oftentimes Paul talks about this, condemnation through his sin was on all people. And now through Jesus, the new Adam, this act resulted in salvation for all people. And so a lot of universalists would say, look look at this verse. Look, all will be saved. The work of Jesus was for all people and all will turn in the end. Or 1 Corinthians 15, 22, you know, the hallmark of the gospel. Paul says, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And they would look at this and go, see, the word all, the word all means, it's not rocket science, the word all means all. So in Adam all were dead in their sins and trespasses, but now what Jesus has done is the beauty they would say is that all will be saved, that all will be made alive. Philippians 2 is another one. You know, this this poem that Paul uses in in Philippians 2, that every, every knee shall bow, and verse 11, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is glory, Lord, sorry, to the glory of the Father. Every tongue acknowledge. So Paul, some would say, look, Paul is saying here, that there will be a day when every single tongue acknowledges Jesus as Lord. And that means that there will be this reconciling power of God's love to bring them into the kingdom forever. One more, Colossians 1.20 says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Paul's saying here that through the shed blood of Christ, the working of Jesus, that he's reconciling all things to himself. And so for some, this third position of Christian universalism has become a legitimate position. You know what's funny is uh, a few years ago, all the cool kids, and you need to hear this, all the cool kids gave a guy named Rob Bell a lot of play with his book, Love Wins. And uh, from my perspective, Rob got a, I don't know Rob, I don't even know why I'm calling him Rob, but you know, he kind of got a little crucified in the, the process of this book as he pushed some of these ideas of kind of Christian universalism. The crazy thing is, is if you've been around a little bit and you've had your pulse on theology for a little while, what he was saying was nothing new. Um, My disappointment in all that is a lot of people gave him credit for this radical revolutionary way of thinking about things. But there's been a lot of people at work around this idea of universal reconciliation for a long time. And I say that to say he probably shouldn't have been crucified the way he was. Because there's great Christian people that have gone before him that have held these beliefs. This is not a Rob Bell thing. It's odd that uh, so many people pointed to that. But there was a lot, you know, there's been people throughout history, uh, in the Christian history more recently, that have believed this. I think of a guy named Robin Perry uh, with his book, The Evangelical Universalist. The Evangelical Universalist. Uh, I think Gregory McDonald did a second edition of that book. There's others, like a really great guy named Brad Jersak. Um, I have not read this book. Again, it's on the list, but with so much going on. Brad, I really love some of Brad's teachings and um, some of his influence on the Christian world and the theology. He wrote a book called Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. And it appears that Brad would maybe lean into this Christian universalist idea and use some of the scriptures that we just read there. And there you have it. Three particular positions, conscious eternal torment, terminal punishment, 
and Christian universalism. And Christians land on all different spectrums when it comes to this stuff. And if you hear somebody say that they have it cornered, I would just be really careful with that person because as we've seen here, especially in the New Testament, it seems at times some of the language around these things can be interpreted in different ways. My hope is that however you view it, you would think of a few things. One, hell and death and life apart from God is horrible. Hell and death and life apart from God is horrible, right? And I'm not just talking about in the future age. I'm talking now. Jesus has come to give us life now, right? So we need to be reminded that the current reality of hell and death and the future reality of hell and death is horrible. The removal of God's presence from anything is horrifying, And just look around the world right now at how nations and people try and rule and govern. It is bad, right? And I'm not like an alarmist, but it's just true. Have you watched the 24-hour news cycle recently? Actually, it's so funny. I did like the whole no TV thing over the summer and tried to read as many books as I can. So my goal right now is the only time to watch TV is when sports are on, like sports I want to watch. So the Leafs last night had their first, uh, you don't care about this, but the Leafs last night had their first exhibition game. So I had the TV on and I just flipped to CNN for a minute. And man, and it's not just CNN. It's just in general, the political climate, the vitriol. Oh my goodness. When we remove God from stuff, it gets pretty darn funky. We were created for life in the kingdom of God. And ultimately, eternal life starts when we give allegiance to Jesus. And that life then will blend into the life eternal. So hell and death and sin and everything is horrible. God is offering us life right here and right now. And we need to keep that at the forefront. No matter where you land with hell, life apart from God Even if you come to the realization of terminal punishment, where in the end there is a final death and cease of living, man, God is offering us life. God is giving giving us life, and that is what Jesus is offering us. Now, to close, hopefully you're doing okay. Hopefully you're hanging in there. Um, to close, and I was not going to do this because I don't want to be like a, a certain kind of influence uh, in any way that would disable people from thinking through. I, what I my hope is, is you hear these things and you hear some of these verses and you would wrestle on your own and you would wrestle through some of these things. I think we, if we all can agree that hell and death and life apart from God is horrifying, um, these positions, I hope we can all work together and you can work just as hard as I have over time to wrestle through some of these things. But people do often ask me, so where do you land with this? Where do you land with this? You know, you grew up in the church. I grew up in an amazing church, pastor's home. Um, To be honest, I didn't really think too deeply about it until the last number of years. I think probably what would have happened is I would have just assumed eternal conscious torment because that was kind of not just in my church, but in general was kind of the the general position. You hear about suffering for eternity in some of these verses. And so that was just kind of I never thought to argue or wrestle through it that much. It was just more assumed. But people often ask me now, so where do you land with this? Again, I'm a little cautious because I don't want if you if your views differ, I'm, I'm really okay with that. I'll say this. I personally have gravitated towards the terminal punishment view 
of hell and suffering and judgment and, and punishment. I have leaned more towards recently the idea of annihilationism or conditional immortality as as a position. Um, I wouldn't say that like this is quick. I'm still wrestling through some things. I mean, even here, like wrestling through the different things and the different texts and the different positions and reading some different books on this, I'm still a work in process. I do not have everything figured out. Again, the only thing I can tell you is life apart from God. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want that with on anybody. I think God wants to reconcile. He wants to reconcile you to Himself. But I have been leaning towards the terminal punishment um, view, annihilationism. Um, there's a few. Let me share just a couple reasons why. And again, I don't want this to be like, oh, well, now you know I hear this, and now I got to change my views. I am not saying that. One is around language a bit, and we could spend a whole like millennia talking about language here. As you know, language is interesting when we read the Bible, partly because the Old Testament is primarily in Hebrew, the New Testament is in Koine Greek, and there's some Aramaic in there kind of throughout. And so we're taking ancient words that had meanings and we're translating them. So for example, even Matthew 25 with the sheep and goats, Jesus says, truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away. So this is the unrighteous to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So for a lot of ETC, eternal conscious, ECT, whatever it is, eternal conscious torment people, they would go see, again, look, it's eternal punishment. But even that word eternal, it's, uh, I want to say it right, Ionias, Ionias in Greek, that word eternal in many New Testament texts doesn't just refer to any age or time, but it refers to the age to come. So if you look at that word, when it's used in some other places, it's actually translated as the age to come. So even with Matthew 25, even though it says eternal punishment, some think that this could be translated the age to come punishment or the punishment that belongs in the age to come, which would mean that this is not necessarily talking about eternity as forever. It's not talking about a time length. Some would say that it's more about the age to come. So how long is that punishment? It may not be as clear even in Matthew 25, which a lot of people who would say that hell is eternal, it's conscious, and it's torment, would look to Matthew 25. We have to look at that word eternal in its original meaning, and sometimes it's translated as the age to come. And could this just be the age to come punishment? Which I think could leave some, just there's one piece of language where I think it could lead, leave some room that there will be terminal punishment, that at some point there will be a ceasing of life. Not that there's not punishment. Punishment is death, death apart from God. I mean, that's that's to me is non-negotiable in this, but it may not be speaking about a length of time, right? Also, so there's the language part. Also, one of the things that I've been really wrestling through when it comes to terminal punishment or annihilationism is how does hell fit into the entire narrative? 
That's just what I've been thinking. So maybe I'm getting a little away from like proof texting, proof texting scripture here and thinking more on a general terms. Like how does hell fit into the entire narrative? I'll just put it like this. It seems like the way, and this is all through Jesus' teachings and as he asks people to follow him, the way of Jesus is life. Can I get an amen? And it seems like the road outside of the way of Jesus is death. So I would say Jesus' atonement is for life. And his death on the cross was for our, for our life. That penalty, that him giving himself up. And I would just say, if you don't want that, if you don't want to lean in and receive that atoning work, then the other option is death. And I would just say, I'm beginning to see it's a little more than just a spiritual death. Sometimes we talk eternal conscious torment. People will say, uh, you're, you know, it's a spiritual death, but then you live forever after being resurrected and you live in torment. I would view it as more and more as I look at these scriptures that there, I think, is the option where that death is death. I mean, death in every, and this is the thing we got to just think through even with language, death in every generation has always meant a lack of existence, not torment. And so sometimes we get the torment stuff and you have to ask, where does that come from? Death means death and destruction means destruction. So this is what I've been wrestling through, right? I'm not, I don't want to push this on anybody, but there has been this gravitation over time, just an honest pastor here wrestling through the language, how it fits into the greater story. And I'll also say that it seems like the terminal punishment view of hell fits more together with free will. Again, the way of Jesus is life. The way outside of Jesus' way is death. And it's like we've kind of been presented. Which are you going to walk the narrow road? Or are you going to walk the wide road? You know, it was C.S. Lewis who said every person is either becoming an immoral whore or an everlasting splendor. And I think that's a, a, a picture of as we're transformed in Christ, we walk into life or you can walk into death. Dallas Willard said it like this. I heard this from another teacher this week. Dallas Willard said, death just seals the trajectory you've already been on as an honor and dignity to your freedom. And so God has given us the ability as free beings and the choice is life or death. And I I view that choice as death more than I do uh, an everlasting like being tormented as much as it is a ceasing to exist by what we see here. Now, some of you are thinking, man, you're not giving me enough. We're just running out of time. I mean, we could go hours upon hours, but I'll say, so you have the language piece. It seems like terminal punishment or annihilationism fits better uh, in the grand narrative of scripture in many ways. Death has always meant death. It fits better with free will, but I'll just say too, the work that Chris Date has done and his group at Rethinking Hell has really opened my eyes to maybe some preconceived things and preconceived ideas I had about hell. And I would just encourage people, again, the the work they're doing is very reformed, very Jesus-centered. They are evangelical, if that's a big deal to you, to the core. And, and, and Chris himself is reformed. I'm not even necessarily reformed theologically, um, but Chris and these guys are very reformed and, uh, have done the work in seminary and I'm really appreciative of their, their views. 
And yet they've really come to this idea of hell afresh and their landing just through their articles and the hours upon hours of podcasts they've done at Rethinking Hell have really got me thinking about, again, terminal punishment or conditional immortality. And it kind of, I do think it feels like uh, those who are in Christ and not in Christ will be raised and will be judged and there will be a final death for those who do not follow the way of Jesus. So that's where I've been gravitating a little bit. They ma- that sorry that may matter to you. That may not matter. Um, my hope, my prayer is that we'd all just wrestle through this, and we just keep at the center of the story that Jesus is offering us life. And my prayer is wherever you're listening to this, that you would, if you don't follow Jesus, you'd consider that not because God wants to send people to hell, but there has to be a day a, a good father has to rid this world of injustice and those who oppose him and i know that's not always like a progressive conservative in our our moment and pc in our moment but the good father wants to come and set up his kingdom forever and in that kingdom uh, that i believe does not end uh, there that kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness and justice, mercy and love. And um, so we need to think through that. So anyways, thanks for hanging with me. You, know, you may have questions, more questions. We can maybe tackle some of these as well. You can always submit these questions to hello at mypraxis.church. My hope is, is that you'll be gracious with us as we wrestle through this as well. You can go to mypraxis.church slash questions and there you can submit questions anonymously Uh, my hope is is that you'll get in some community and wrestle through this with other people we've given you some resources and book titles that i think would be helpful hopefully on every side of the discussion and as people wrestle through this and i just hope you can join us join us on one of our sunday gatherings we meet at 10 30 a.m at goodwill industries in the real london london ontario canada The next thing we're going to jump into from Redemption Recycling is this idea of social justice in the church. And there seems to be a divide right now, even amongst evangelicals, about whether social justice is legit. And we're going to talk about what does this mean? Is social justice bad? Is that a conflict with the gospel? Is this in conflict with the church and what the church is called to be? I hope you can join us. We'll also look to uh, just release over time some midweek podcasts as we wrestle through some of these different topics and things. Hope you can listen in. Thanks for listening today. Have a great day wherever you are. Grace and peace.